Say one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. You're listening to Song and Story, conversations with songwriters about their songs. You can support this project on Patreon, and you can learn more at songandstorypodcast.com. I played music for a wedding out in Coronado about eight or nine years ago now. At one point during all the pre-wedding festivities, I remember very clearly sitting around outside a bar in mid-afternoon, basking in the Southern California sunshine with a bunch of friends and some acquaintances from college. One of them, his name was Jake, started asking me about what I was hoping to do with my music, what my goals were. And at a certain point in the conversation, he started telling me about his little sister. He said she played the guitar, sang, wrote her own songs, and he wondered if I had any advice he could pass on to her. I didn't. At that time, I was really just getting started with everything. But Jake was adamant. She's good, he said. She's really good. Cool, man. I'm sure I said something cordially dismissive like that. I just wasn't interested. I didn't know her. I'd never met her or heard her play. Jake was just being a good big brother, singing the praises of his talented little sister. About a year or two later, some friends told me about this new girl on campus at our old college. They said I had to check out her music. So I followed a link to her MySpace page and listened to the handful of songs she had posted. The recordings weren't very good, but it didn't matter, because the songs were. I noted her name, Alana Boudreau. Boudreau. This was Jake Boudreau's little sister. And it wasn't just sibling bias. She's really good. My name is Alana Boudreau. I'm from upstate New York. And this song is from my 2016 album, Champion. The song is called Controlled Burn. Second chances, my dear 
bit at the end or do you mean at the beginning the little intro at the at the beginning yeah sorry did you write that um i knew i knew that i wanted like a little fancy melody of some sort at the beginning and so i didn't write it but i described the mood and the atmosphere to the guy chris who played and um so how did you how did you describe it? Um, because because it feels to me like it feels like uncertainty. Like the song has just begun. We know that the whole thing isn't going to sound like this. Well, I mean, I'll tell you, but it's it's going to be, I think, a little bit disappointing um, <laughs> for the listeners because the guys who played on Champion um, before we began recording, I got them all together with me in a room and I told them the story. I told them everything that had happened in my life prior to these songs. And I really felt compelled that I should because I wanted them to know and to step inside. And um, I knew that all of these songs that I'd written on Champion, I was trying to sort through what had happened, hadn't specified which song went into which part of that event or which part of the process. But I did feel like I should tell them my life story up to that point as we began that's, recording that's so, so interesting yeah and I'd never done that before with a group of musicians but for some reason with this group I, I really felt that I needed to be transparent with them about why I was where I was at um, and they really received it I mean they they didn't have a lot of feedback which is fine but they just thanked me and um, I could tell that their hearts were hurting for what had happened and um, yeah, but then he, this guy Chris just went out there and he was playing around on his guitar before we began this track and um, I kind of said I'd like there to be something a little bit, you know, different at the beginning and that kind of, I said that but then it kind of got lost in the shuffle through the day and then this guy Chris was out there doodling around on the guitar and I said to Alan Parker, um, you know Alan, such a great fella and I, I oh, said yeah, Alan... Yeah hit record while he's doing that out there because um, I think that that's what I want 
at the beginning. And so Alan just really? record and Chris was in there just doodling around like in his own world, maybe thinking about what I'd shared, maybe thinking about what he would have for lunch. I don't know. I never really know what was going through his brain at the time. But when I heard it, I was like, okay, that's it. I think he's probably synthesizing things in his mind at his own speed and, and it's coming out now through his fingers. And I like that. And so that was how it was. Um, it just kind of happened that way. It's, That's amazing because yeah. it leads perfectly Isn't it into cool? the song. Yeah, I was very, very excited with how that how that worked out. So it was pretty cool. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You should – you never asked him? Asked if him. He was thinking, if he was thinking about anything? No, he was a funny fellow. Yeah, he was always just kind of chewing on a toothpick and he'd make wry comments and he was a very funny man. Um but impossible to read. You know, like one of those people who are hilarious, but nobody knows them at all. Maybe their mom does, but no one else. <laughs> and so he was one of those types. So I, I, for the life of me, I don't know. I could ask him, but it would probably be weird. That's interesting. Okay, well, I want to let you know, you kind of preface this by saying you might be disappointed in it. And I want you to know that I'm not remotely disappointed in that oh. because what it tells me is that you can – do what's right for the song, whether you are immersing another musician with his own style and life story, whether you are immersing him in your own life story, or whether you're just spying on him <laughs> and recording ultimately his phone conversations without him knowing. Like that's kind of what you did. He it was like, he was playing the guitar by himself. You just kind of, it was kind of like he was on the phone with his girlfriend, and you just hit record. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's uh, pretty much how it happened. And it worked. <laughs> See, those are both such radically different approaches. And the fact that that they both, that using both of them, you stumbled upon whatever you needed to stumble upon to kind of make this song perfect in its mm -hmm. own way. And yeah. that's really cool. So I'm not I'm remotely glad. disappointed. I'm glad. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very glad. Um, yeah, it's, I've always had that odd approach to life. I'm a weird mix of being, um, like highly, highly ordered and weirdly spontaneous. And, um, sometimes that works well, sometimes it's disastrous, but, um, yeah, I think I just, I try to, yeah, try to be attuned to what's happening in front of me and, um, just reverence it as best as I can. And that, yeah, worked out in that scenario. So I'm familiar with the concept of a controlled burn, but can you explain it a little bit? How did it all come about initially? So the first time that I heard about the concept of a controlled burn was when I was probably however old you are when you take the SAT, uh, because it was one of the comprehensive essays on the SAT uh, dealt with control burns. It, it described them in detail. But it's when an area of land, uh, let's say in, in the SAT, it was described as a, a forest area that's become diseased and unhealthy. And uh, it, it needs basically to be burned to the ground in order for new growth to reemerge re and, and, and for there to be a new burgeoning of life. And I don't remember all of the granular details of that process. And, and, you know, I'm sure it's a, it's a complicated process if, it, if you get down to it, but that's the basic idea is that this, a huge plot of land um, is, is burned to the ground. All the growth that's existing there is burned and it's done in the service of 
new life that will emerge thereafter. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting concept at the time, and um, I enjoyed rewriting this comprehensive essay because the the concept was so interesting to me. But then I forgot about it for many years, and it wasn't until I let's see, I think I was twenty four or twenty three. I was 23, yeah, three years ago, that um, that memory came back to me. and do you, uh, do you know how? Do you know what sparked it? Well, I, yes, I, I, I do know. It, was, um, it, it wasn't like a, a natural image or, or seeing it actually happen physically. It was more of a spiritual and emotional valley that I was in. And um, I was reflecting on... I was trying to find analogies to make sense of the mess mm. that was happening in my life. And that came back and I found it very consoling. And uh, at the time though, I didn't intend on writing a song about it, but um, as the months went by, as I continued to wrestle with this mess, that song was born out of it. So, so that's, yeah. I mean, and I'm happy to go more into that, but that's, that's just the basic gist of, what brought it back and okay. you know how the song came out of that uh if you don't mind going more into that uh, i mean what was the mess and how exactly did you kind of see this relating well the i was thinking about this earlier was the mess really was um the most profound experience of grief that i've ever experienced in my life to this point and it was it was a death but not um not the physical expiration of a person, but rather it was um, the image and understanding I had of them died. Um, there was it was an incredible experience of disillusionment in my life um, of a very important figure, and that that was it was grief. It was grief, but it it was all the stages of grief all at once because that that figure was not what I had known that figure to be. So there, there was a real experience of someone dying. And so, and and I'm not going to get much more specific than that, but I feel like many people have had similar experiences. Um, And it's just really, it's very hard to make sense of it. And um, for me, it felt like the rug was pulled out from under my feet in pretty much every way. It was threw me into a tailspin with my faith, with everything. It just, it caused a lot of questions. Um, and so, yeah, actually that Controlled Burn, that song came out of it. And many of the songs off the album Champion came out of that, that experience. It was a very distilling experience. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure you've had similar things happen where in the moment when that profound thing happens to you, when the veil is lifted and you get that quote news end quote, it's like everything around you becomes crystal clear. I remember, I remember exactly what the wood paneling looked like on the windowsill in front of me um, that day, you know, and then, then everything changed. Um, so that's, yeah, hopefully that makes sense in, in some way, it, you know? No, it, but, it absolutely does. I mean, without going <laughs> into details of, I guess my own experience one of my own experiences um, like that. I remember exactly where I was standing, uh, what time of night it was, what the overall mood in the room was. I just kind of made a comment about the way things were. And this person I was talking to knew 
a lot more than I knew about everything Mm -hmm. behind the scenes in a particular situation involving people we were both close to. And they just kind of started talking and talked for about two hours. And at that point, I realized that that everything was different than how I always thought it was. Right. Um, Yeah. And it's, it's, it was interesting, to, to say the least. <laughs> <Yeah>. I, <laughs> it is interesting. I, I felt like an idiot for for making my initial comment, you know. But if I hadn't, then we wouldn't have had the opportunity, the discussion that we ended up having. Mm-hmm. I guess about about grief and about forgiveness and about healing, and so yeah, yeah, that mm-hmm. was good. This might seem incredibly vague, right? No, it doesn't seem vague to me, but I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> but that's okay. And I, I don't know with these things. I feel like people can hear between the lines too, especially if, if they've had similar experiences. I don't, you know, sure. I, I sure. don't know. But so, yeah. So, um, in the moment, then when the song started coming together, did you did you recognize it as this particular songwriting process being kind of your external processing of? the situation no no I didn't honestly it's taken me years out from that event to see just um how it's rippled out you know it's kind of I was too close to it at the time to recognize that I was writing about it and that I was trying to process it that's interesting yeah yeah and actually there's quite a few songs like that in my life where I'll write them and immediately after if someone hears it they'll ask what it was inspired by or what it's about. And and I'll say, I'm not entirely sure yet. And Mm. um, the song was very much that way. It it just hit me at one point, like, Oh, I, I wrote it. I wrote it to this person. I wrote it for this person. I wrote it also for myself trying to heal from this thing. Um, But at the time I, yeah, I hadn't made this explicit um, connection with that event and the song. Yeah. What was the first bit of it to, emerge a verse the chorus well typically oh you know what it was it was um i had written this is just coming back to me now i had written the refrain um you know in in this forest full of second chances i had written that a couple years before this thing happened and i had it on a memo i recorded it while i was on a plane um and it was it was in my phone and then post this like apocalyptic event i was going through my old memos while on another plane because i hadn't downloaded any podcasts and it was on airplane mode so i was like well i guess i'll just go listen to my old journals and songs and see what's in there and um i heard this little this little snippet and um and then I sat down with the guitar and the verses started coming pretty quickly thereafter. So I did have the the heart of the song, which was the refrain, but it was only like the first line, like in this forest full of second chances. Sure. Um, your heat wave pulls me under. And so I had that and I loved that idea and that concept. Um, but it, yeah, so yeah, it's funny now as you're asking these questions for me to kind of connect the dots and see how far back the song went and then how it reemerged. Yeah. How, how quickly did the rest of the song kind of flow? Yeah. It, the rest of it came fairly fast. Um, I'd say within a day of tinkering at it, 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 it was the, the skeleton of the song was there and, um, yeah, that, that's typically how songs come for me. They come quite quickly, and then 
um, sometimes it'll be a matter of just changing a word here or there or a phrase or throwing away a verse or something like that. But yeah, yeah. yeah, they usually come fast. The whole, you know, the idea is, it's just kind of comes out as a piece and then I sort of redress it here and there and tighten up the laces and polish up, you know, the shoes and whatnot. So, yeah. That's seems very similar to kind of my process, especially in regards to having one little line or melody or, Mm-hmm. guitar riff or musical hook just kind of sitting around for a year or two right. and then all of a sudden yeah all of a sudden you find you just kind of discover or stumble upon the rest of it yeah, yeah. um mm-hmm. it's a it's an it's a weirdly it's a weirdly joyful and enlivening process it really is yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so diving into the the lyrics there my life my life my life it stretches behind me um, and I see all the missteps and the poorly timed kisses. It's a great way to kind of set the stage by acknowledging not necessarily failures in and of themselves, or, or not necessarily failures in the most dramatic sense of the word, but but missteps, you know, stumblings, big or small. Um, again, at the time, I didn't, I hadn't identified that the song was attached to any one event or any one person. And so I just stepped into the song as the first, from the first person perspective. Um, and actually, you know, in retrospect, I can see how important that process actually is in coming to forgive another person is to step into that role and recognize um, how much I've been forgiven as well. So I, I think without even explicitly explicitly recognizing I was identifying with this person who um, I felt had caused so much pain and disillusionment in my life. Um, So that, that was an interesting thing for me to see, you know, after the fact, after the song was wrapped to see like, I am both um, identifying as the, as the person who needs a second chance. And then as the child who's being rediscovered, um, out of the pain of what's been lost, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. So it was a curious thing, you know, and, and not intentional at the time, but yeah, that's kind of how it just happened. This is, this is how you kind of structure the verses. The way that you coupleted them is very interesting. And the first part of each couplet begins by repeating the simple phrase three times. Did that just kind of come naturally? Was that just kind of a pattern <laughs> that you just started with? Because I definitely do this where I start with a pattern and I want to continue the pattern. And there's not necessarily a significance to the pattern itself. Right, um, right. But it's almost like it becomes a, an interesting creative parameter that you can impose on yourself to kind of right. see if you can continue the pattern and make it work without it seeming cliche. That 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 first kind of triplet there was that it, it just was how it came out as I was as I was writing it. And then, and then for the, the the next verses, it it followed suit naturally as well. But it, I was drawn to that um, because uh, there's something, well, for one thing, it's meant to echo two things. uh, Mia culpa, mia culpa, mia culpa. Oh, holy, holy, holy. Okay. So So that was intentional. That it was intentional in that way, okay. yeah, because I, I wanted there to be that Morse code kind of pulse, uh, because for some reason, again, it's 
I am a pretty um, visceral person in some ways. And I just, that has, that sunk into me as a kid that, da, 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 mia culpa, mia culpa, mia culpa, holy, holy, holy. Even without knowing that kind of specifically that was, that was what was fueling that, the mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa. Um, you know, as I ask the question and, and I'm kind of looking at the, my life, my life, my life, I ache, I ache, I ache, my bones, my bones, my bones, I thirst, I thirst, I thirst. They all share this kind of um, theme of desperation and and weariness. Yeah, yeah, that, that is, and, and the thing to, to go down even deeper is, you know, like Mia culpa, we're saying like, it's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. But the song, the way I wrote it, is more. Um, I just, I do believe that um, our God is a God who understands uh, the thirst and the ache and the breaking and the tension. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to re-step into that. It's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. And say, but I know that you know I'm thirsty, I'm broken, I'm tired, my life, like what is this life, where is this life going, what does it mean to have a life? Um, and that and that sounds like super intense and meta and whatever, but that was kind of what I was, <laughs> you know, what I was thinking was, because yeah, I, I grew up and I, I, I did end up with an idea of God that was very rigid and um, I've, I've had to work through that idea that I have to convince him to like me let alone love me and yeah. and this song was kind of a reworking of that where well, I was going through this crazy disillusionment where I didn't doubt the existence of God partly because of my strong connection to um, creation and, and I see the order in creation and I, I just can't I can't um, deny the design of it so I never I never doubted the existence of a God but I wasn't sure what his nature was I wasn't sure um, you know, if he was a loving God or not. And so this song was grappling with all of those things. And I was really reaching back into very early concepts of God. And that mea culpa thing for me had fossilized into this stern kind of um, absent, hard to get to know, kind of like a very um, well-revered professor who I was afraid to approach. Um this song was me getting more vulnerable and, and really saying it like it was and like I felt it. Um, so, yeah, that's I, I feel like I kind of went off on a tangent, but it's all connected. So, whatever. oh, yeah, yeah. no, that's to- that's totally fine. <laughs> that's that's really interesting. It, it Honestly, I until this conversation, and I've heard the song. I don't know how many times <laughs> a, a dozen, dozen times, but I, um, I I never considered it. I never really thought. Um, about the pattern. And I think it's because 24 hours ago, I was on a plane working up lyrics to a new song and and I noticed myself intentionally kind of wanting to stick with a particular pattern and I had my reasons for it. And so mm-hmm. that experience kind of compelled me to ask. And it's, it's I don't know, it's, that's what I really appreciate, knowing that that, that creative decision to repeat a phrase three times to start each couplet in a verse that that has intention behind it mm-hmm. um i just i really appreciate that level of of depth and attention to detail so uh, thank you okay. thank you for it <laughs> um 
When you sing in this forest full of second chances, your green sap draws me upward. What do you mean by that? Everything loves itself insofar as everything is always is straining upwards and onwards. It is always it is trying for life. It is seeking that. And that was kind of um, what I was going for is your green sap, like this this force of life is what draws me up and onward. You know, like it is it is the thing that that I don't know, the life force, I guess you could say, is really in a very basic way. That's kind of what I was trying to, to capture. And then with the heat wave, um, that the heat wave, I was talking more about the wall of fire that just raises everything to the ground. And then this drawing forward of new life that comes and emerges and rises. And that, yeah, so I mean, you could take it in, in any direction. And I kind of wanted to keep it open for that interpretation. But the main thing I was going for was really just I wanted there to be a strong image um, and just a visceral remembrance of what it's like when you're in this in, in a rich green forest and you can smell the earth and, and the rain and the hopefulness that that brings, um, as well as that image of a, a charred, you know, expanse of land that's, you know, that goes as far as your eye can see um, and what that what feeling that evokes within you, those feelings and memories and images that most of us have. Um, you know, yeah, the, the, the line, my deep, my delight is your thunder. Mm -hmm. I think that phrase for me more than any other in the chorus that has the most, um, it invokes within me the the greater sense of wonder Mm -hmm. than all the others, just because there's, you know, when you're a kid and you hear thunder, it's at once awesome and, Mm -hmm. uh, terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so to say that your delight, that my delight is your thunder, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's just kind of alludes to like this, this fearful reverence for the natural order. Yeah, the, the mysterium tremendum. That was really what I was thinking of at the time. Because um, it, it brings back that question, like, why are holy places dark places? And uh, I've always been very struck by that paradox for as long as I can remember um just the the contrast uh you know yeah that that fearful sense of awe like the true awesomeness that that strikes you and makes you stand still and everything is tingling um I was always fascinated by thunderstorms as a child too and the more violent they became or fascinated I was but I was scared you know but I always wanted to be right out there on the porch where I was safe but where I could I wanted to enter into it though too because it was vast and beautiful and it was being exactly what it was supposed to be and it reminded me of God you know that my earliest understanding of God has always been um I could sense him when I was outside there um and yeah I have a one of my my sharpest clearest memories of my life is I was sitting I was probably 15 14 and I went out for a walk in the field behind our house uh, my parents house and they lived next to this beautiful big river and um, I was sitting on the edge of the water and there was just this sudden thunderstorm that broke open um, from the sky. It was just, I mean, instantaneous. There was no warning except for that that wonderful charge in the air right before it began. And um, yeah, it's just one of my most cherished memories because that I, I, the specificity of um, God's, I don't know, 
at least in my understanding of God, the specificity of God's engagement in my life, um, that's always struck me. And it's usually, for me, his specificity comes in these um, very simple ways. For instance, a, a sudden, violent, warm summer thunderstorm while I'm sitting on the edge of a river. I just remember feeling so utterly filled by that experience. And um, I just sat out there until I was completely drenched all the way through. And I wasn't thinking about anything past or future. I was just there um, kind of in that. And I don't remember who said the sacrament of the present moment, but that was what was happening there. And it was beautiful. So, but yeah, that, that line, my delight is your thunder. Um, I am in awe of your might and your majesty. And, you know, it's frightening to me, but it is enlivening. Um, and it is, you know, yeah. 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 Um, my bones, my bones, my bones, they're dry as the desert, and the tomb is still barren, and the ghost still has power. I presume the tomb is still barren is, you kind of want to have hope that a body has risen, but you haven't seen the body yet. And and the ghost, the ghost still has power. Is this kind of the, the ghost of, the ghost of the fault? kind of still having power over the present moment. Right. That was more what I was saying is that that ghost of resentment or anger, um, fear or sadness, um, any emotion, it's they're neutral in and of themselves. It's just how we choose to react to them um, that makes the difference. And I think when someone's wronged you, if you can't separate their actions from them as a person, um, then you're being haunted, eaten alive in a sense by your anger. And it, it's very destructive. It's not helping anybody. That keeps you dead. You know, that that prevents the stone from rolling away, at least in my life. So, yeah. Yeah. I've got a, um, a song. I've only played it a handful of times, haven't recorded it yet. Uh, inspired by really phrases from T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets. At one point, he uses the phrase, neither at rest nor in motion. Have you ever read the Four Quartets? I know you're a T.S. Eliot fan. I have read. I have read the Four Quartets. I, I, okay. I, I can't really make sense of heads or tails of it, but I love the way it sounds. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's how it. I feel. That's yeah. how I feel. It's it's so mysteriously and inexplicably beautiful when I yes. read it. It's how I yeah. feel when I read it. <laughs> and so you know, there's phrases like that peppered that really are the are the the heart of it. Are neither at rest nor in motion yeah. almost like this thing mm-hmm. exists and it doesn't exist isn't that amazing that's kind yeah. of like what yeah. the whole thing feels like yeah and so you know how do i make sense of that phrase neither at rest nor in motion well what type of thing have i ever experienced that is neither at rest nor in motion and so the line that i kind of conceived as i mused on that was at the still point of this turning world in which we live neither at rest nor in motion is the heart that can't forgive. Mm. And it's kind of like it's this, this, I thought of this just because of everything that you just said, you know, being stuck in that place where, you know, if the, if the tomb is still barren, it means you might have evidence that whoever was in the tomb has risen from the dead, Mm -hmm. but it might just mean that grave robbers came 
and stole the body for whatever purpose, you know, like Mm -hmm. you have something that could be, that could be interpreted as giving you evidence for hope. Mm, Yeah. But, but you're not really sure if you're ready to start hoping yet, you know, like you're kind of almost sulking in this place of, Mm -hmm. as you said, resentment. Right. um, Yeah. Or despair. Yeah. Yeah, man, that I, I really, that's a, I love that uh, that line that you just shared and, and the, the lyric that you you um, kind of wrapped it into there. That's it's a great analogy too. Um, hope hope is a funny thing. Hope and optimism are very different things. Hope and expectation are different things. But um, I do believe a friend of mine told me this not long ago. He said, "Any God worth his salt can handle your doubt." Um, so I thought that was a good thing to be reminded of that sometimes when you're in the valley and you're sitting there um, in, in grief or something, it's just, it's tough to, to plot out your next step. Um, and just to be reminded that uh, a God who is worth his salt, as, as my friend said, can handle that too. Uh, for me anyway, hearing that was really meaningful. I've always, um, I've always loved kind of the, the couplet that follows and I thirst, I thirst, I thirst as I look off the pavement, as if it gives me water. I think on a, on a more lighthearted <laughs> level, it reminds me of every movie in which we've ever seen a character think he's arrived at this oasis in the middle of the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just yeah. finally, finally is at a water source. It's but... like in the Three Amigos when whoever gets the, the canteen at the end and it's just sand <laughs> that falls in his face. <laughs> was it Dusty yeah. Bottoms? I don't remember which one. Dusty was. Bottoms, yeah. It was Chevy Chase. <laughs> right. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. But it's just, it's such a sad state though. You know, if, if, if he hadn't realized, (laughs) if he hadn't realized that he had just consumed a mouthful of sand and instead, Mm -hmm. you know, was regarding himself as, as refreshed. I mean, this, this kind of, this idea is such, it's such a good way to express every, every empty momentary fleeting pleasure yeah yeah any any addiction really i mean i feel like whatever it is that we reach for compulsively um either to get out of those uncomfortable feelings or to to deaden and and benumb uh, the the things that are uh, too scary for us to handle at a given time um yeah that's it is. It's a very tragic thing that that we all do. You know, to think that we can be quenched by something that's actually going to make us thirstier than we were before. But yeah. In terms of the end of the song, then, you know, where where the verses might exude a um, kind of a desperation in a mea culpa, the chorus has the opposite. You know, the the chorus introduces the concept of hope. Um, of rebirth, of new growth. And there's even that, I guess it would be the bridge, but it's just kind of that musical swell, mm-hmm. you know, after the um, after the second chorus. And that feels incredibly hopeful, just sonically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then when the song ends, you kind of use, you kind of revert to these notes that are a little bit unresolved. That the hopeful swell that you were mentioning, that was another neat uh, moment in the studio there. The, you're talking about that, huh? Yeah. So I I had that um, 
had that written into the song. And as I, I played it for the guys in the room, just with the guitar, and they all loved that. And um, the the keys player, Dave Cohen said, he's like, that's beautiful. And um, let's try to, let's try to build on that. And I was all, I was all for it. And the guys were really into the song. They really enjoyed playing it. I could tell that. And so it was beautiful. Uh, I think for all of us to, to get in there and listen and watch as each of us layered over and over on that line. Um, and I think we could all feel the hopefulness in it too, because we knew the story behind the song and, and the heaviness of it. So that was just a beautiful thing to see unfold in real time. And as for the ending with the, I guess, somewhat more irresolute notes there, I think I identify with uh, I, the ephemerality of the seasons and how they come and go. And I somehow find um, consolation even in that because it's a very dynamic thing, the, the living and dying um, of each season in, in life. So, and the living and dying of natural processes. Um, so I think that was really kind of the idea there. It's, uh, the control burn sweeps through an area, raises it to the ground, new life comes forth, burgeoning up from the ground. Um, and then the cycle begins again.
enjoyed my conversation with Alana and you'd like to check out more of her music, I've put links in the show notes on songandstorypodcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it on Patreon by going to patreon.com songandstory. It takes a surprising amount of time and creative energy to put one of these episodes together, so every little bit helps. You can follow me, Kevin Heider, as well as Song and Story Podcast on social media. You can find all those links, and you can learn more, listen, and subscribe today at songandstorypodcast.com. Thanks for listening, because you're still listening. Here is an extended bonus clip. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you look forward to all that is to come. Thanks for asking about it. This is a really fun conversation for me to have. I've never had such an in-depth conversation about one of my songs, to be honest. I'm I'm glad you think so. And I think I feel like I've gotten that type of feedback from everybody so far, which is which is great. Um, yeah, most people and, most people just want to know, like, were you really in love with the boy in the bicycle? I'm like, stop. No. <laughs> I, you know what? I was a little sad that you excluded oh, Kevin, that I one. Hate is, that song. I hate it. Why do you hate? Okay, here's here's why <laughs> here's why I want to talk about it. Okay, because um, you know, so this would be the eighth eighth recording of this that I've done. And even though not all the songs have a kind of desperate feel, this will be the fifth conversation in which the in which grief has come up. Mm. You know, and and um, I think for artists, we process. We're really good at processing pain. Yes. And we are good at, um, you know, acknowledging beauty in the midst of it. But Boy on a Bicycle is, it's escapism in the best possible sense. (laughs) And I know that it might seem trite and played out for you. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was, that was the first song of yours that I ever heard. Yeah. It was whatever crappy recording you had up on your MySpace page. Yeah. <laughs> and and I was hooked instantly because of it. And I think there's, just from the standpoint of having a simple pre- parameter and seeing what you can create uh, from mm-hmm. that, whether or not there's a deeper meaning to it, um, just the simple mm-hmm. joy in creating. Alana, why do penguins exist? 
What purpose do they serve? We didn't know that they existed until a little over a hundred years ago. But when we did, it, it let us know that there's so much more out there that we don't know about. They serve no function to the ecosystem that humans live in. And yet we get a simple joy in knowing that they exist. And that's what Boy on the Bicycle is. It's a penguin. <laughs> and I don't care if you've barred it. We're going to talk about it someday. We can talk about it someday. It will we'll be talk good. about it. We'll talk yeah. about it after I've written, after I've rewritten the song from the perspective of the immature boy on the bicycle. That's a good idea. Who has, who is so confused and grossed out by this weird, <laughs> awkward girl who stares at him the every stalker. day while he rides by. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. would be very interested to hear that, that kind of feedback song, but you know, and maybe someday, you know, when I'm old, I'll release an album of my greatest hits and it will just be the boy in the bicycle 12 <laughs> times in a row. And well, well. It, there'll be some sweet, I don't know, you know, but uh, yeah, I'm glad it exists. I am. I'm glad that maybe I should try to write more cute songs. I just don't do cute. You know? Try. Well, you really, you really like my Turtle Dove song, and I've never I recorded do. that. I do. Yeah, I really enjoy that one. I think it's similar. And in, I in love tur- I Could Never Marry John, too. Really? I do. Yes, I do. Fascinating. So there's another one. Yeah, there you go. Fascinating. <laughs> do you love it because. Well, you've never met him, but do you love it because your brother is really good friends with John? No, I I loved the song before I knew that. So really, yes. Why do you like it? Let's let's make this episode about me. Oh, Why do you well, like that song? It really just makes me chuckle. I think it's it's so just funny and ridiculous. And I also remember you saying you wanted to sing it at their wedding, and your mom wouldn't let you or something. And I yeah, thought that's that accurate. was a hoot too. I don't know. I just. I just listened to it with like a with a smile on my face, and I just okay. I, I like the whole. It's just it's it's very amusing. That's okay. I enjoy that. Well, yeah. then here's here's what we will someday do: is we will do a double episode, uh, where I interview you about Boy and the Bicycle, and then you can interview me that about would, I could about I could great. never marry John. Okay, does that, does that work? <laughs> that works. I, I look forward to that. Okay, Sounds all right. Great. It'll be a it'll it's be a, a double header. All right. <laughs> So now getting back. <laughs> back to grief. Back to grief, yeah. Back to grief and disillusionment and fear. Yeah. Um, 